Hello, everyone, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I'm so grateful that you're able to join us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause a broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemmy.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Rick. Everybody, welcome to Christ Fellowship. Hey, I got to tell you, I have... I'm going to be preaching today with an agenda, and that agenda is I want to do a little bragging. Yeah. Number one, I want to do some bragging on Jesus, because he so deserves it. By the way, I love the way we're gathering in our worship more tight, because when we gather tight, we worship with more might, and that's what our Lord deserves. So I appreciate the way you've adjusted to that. But secondly, I want to do some bragging on you. You know, sometimes us pastors, we're always exhorting you, follow God, serve, obey, you know. But today, I want to brag on you for what you're already doing. I want to encourage you. So that's my goal. I hope you go out of here feeling encouraged. I really want to brag on you. And this kind of came to me a few weeks back because I was up in the Carolinas and some pastor friends of mine, they said, you know, Rick, we, we hear up here what's going on at Christ Fellowship in Miami. And they said, what, what is it that you're doing? And I said, well, we just got these incredible people. I said, they give, they serve, they volunteer. And, and one of the pastors said, yeah, 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 but, but what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, well, we've got these people and they volunteer and they serve and they give. And so I brag on you all the time for the way you serve and the way you have such compassion. And so I want to brag on you today to you so that you receive a blessing from it. Now, we're going to look at this not of my own accord, but rather right out of Revelation chapter 6. And so I'm going to need to pull us through some rather uncomfortable passage of Scripture to get to the part to where I can brag on you. So you can stay with me through the text. Amen? Can you hang with me? All right. I want to read the passage. Let's remain standing at all of our campuses. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll come back and unpack it. You listen as I read it. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Well, you can stop right there. Let's grab a seat at all of our campuses. And let's get some help with our children over there. We've got our nursery. By the way, don't we have great nursery, great children's, and that's where we want our children so that we can focus on the Word of God, so let's give them some help over there. Hey, I want to set things up by saying this, uh, kind of sharing this with you. It seems like in my lifetime, I have had a lifetime of surgeries, surgical procedures. In fact, my first surgery came when I was only 13 years old. Oh, yeah. At 13, I had kidney surgery. Then I had another kidney surgery when I was 15. When I was 17, I had an appendectomy. They surgically took out my appendix. Seven years ago, I had heart surgery. 
After that, I had surgery for an implant device. Two years ago, I had colon surgery. They removed a part of my colon and then resected that piece of colon back together. So it's been a lifetime of surgeries. And folks, as if that's not enough, my physician just told me that I am now going to need nose surgery. I kid you not, and not because my nose is so big, but rather, apparently, as a child, my nose was broken when I was a, a child boxer, and it has slid so far over to one side that my septum is completely blocking this side so that I can't breathe from this side. It's completely blocked, and I'm not getting enough oxygen. And so to fix what is broken, this surgeon is basically going to have to break my nose, my septum, which creeps me out to no end. In fact, I'm telling you all of that to tell you this. The thought of somebody breaking my nose troubles me. In fact, I, I would say it goes so far that I think about it to the point that it bothers me. I mean, it's one thing to have your nose broken in a boxing match. It's another thing to voluntarily lie down on a gurney and let somebody break your nose. That just bothers me, the thought of it. But stay with me, because being the veteran of surgery that I am, here's what I've learned. Before the surgery begins, an anesthesiologist will anesthetize me. And not only that, before they put me under, they will, they will slip this wonderful drug into the IV that just produces this kind of calming effect. Now, I don't know what they call that drug. I don't know what they call it, but I know what I call it. I call it the nothing bothers me drug because it, it produces this sort of euphoric feeling to the point that you're kind of unaware of what's happening around you and nothing bothers you. You want to break my nose? Go ahead. I don't care. Go. And it's, it's, it produces such a calming effect that sometimes in that surgery time, I get, I get a little too talkative. And I always worry that I'm going to say something under the influence that's stupid. But folks, here's my point. The anesthesia deadens your awareness to the point that you're really not aware of what's going on around you so that nothing bothers you. You just don't care about anything. Now let me turn a corner and bring that over to our study in Revelation. Because what an image of how many, how, how many people think about heaven. And by that, I mean many people think that heaven is going to be sort of a state of euphoria where you don't care about anything. A state of euphoria where nothing bothers you there. In other words, God will kind of anesthetize us to the point that we we don't know what's going on down on the earth. 
We're not aware of what's happening down there. And so consequently, we won't care what's happening down here. Consequently, we won't be bothered by all of the pain and the suffering and injustice that's going on on this planet. That's the way a lot of people imagine heaven to be, that we're sort of just going to be anesthetized and unaware and unbothered. But folks, the fact is, that's not what the Scriptures teach. In fact, how many of you know what smelling salts are? Let me see your hands. Yeah, they're used in boxing when a boxer gets hit. Because when you get hit, especially on the tip of the jaw, it can, it can kind of take you out of things. I, I know, I've been there. And you can, you can kind of become unawake. You're sort of out of it and unawake. But when a coach, a boxing coach, snaps one of these and shoves it up your nose, let me tell you, the smell goes straight to your brain. And it awakens a drowsy boxer. Again, I know. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you're fully alert of what's going on. All of a sudden, you're fully aware of what's happening around you, and you're bothered by the fact that the guy across the ring who just hit you in the chin wants to hit you in the chin again. And so you're fully awake, you're fully aware of what's going on, and you're bothered by what's going on. Now, folks, that's a more accurate description of what heaven will be like. Again, many people imagine heaven is going to be this sort of a anesthetized state to where we're totally unaware of the pain and suffering and injustice that's going on in the world. And in heaven, we just won't care. In heaven, you won't be bothered by. But here's my proposition. This is what I want you to walk out the door with today. Heaven will be less like an anesthesia and more like smelling salts being crammed up your nose. And by that, I mean in heaven, you will not only be aware of what's going on down on the earth, totally aware of it, totally awakened to it, you will be bothered by what's going on down there. By the way, we ought to be totally aware of the injustice and pain and suffering that's going on right now. Amen? We ought to be bothered by that right now. Now, some of you are thinking, well, wait, wait, Blackwood, go back to the heaven thing. I thought heaven, you may be thinking, I thought heaven was euphoria. I thought heaven was, we're totally aware of what's going on down on the earth. We won't care. You're saying, Blackwood, are you saying we're going to know and we're going to be bothered and care about what's happening on the earth in heaven? Well, let's find out. I want to answer that not of my own accord, but rather from the Word of God. I want to give you two thoughts. How many of you have your listening guides with you today? Wave those in the air. Yeah, if you're a guest with us today, we like to take notes. I want to encourage you to track along with us as we unpack this text. Two thoughts about heaven, if you're filling in the blanks. Number one. Christians will be bothered in heaven. Christians will be bothered, will be troubled, will be disturbed about something in heaven. You get the idea. Let's pick it up in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Now stop right there and let me set the stage here. To begin with, the scene of Revelation 6 is in 
heaven. This is in heaven. You, you get the idea by going all the way back to chapter 4, verse 1. So let's backtrack a little bit. Here's what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open where? Yeah, in heaven. So the scene here is in heaven. Now, since we're in the book of Revelation, I sort of need to reset the theme of the book of Revelation. To begin with, you need to know that the book of Revelation is just what it says. It is a revelation from God. That simply means that this document called the book of Revelation is something that God is revealing to us that was previously unknown before he revealed it. In other words, God is making something known to us now through this document called the book of Revelation that before the book of Revelation was written, nobody knew about it. You say, well, what is God revealing? What is God making known in the book of Revelation? It's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. Revelation reveals, here's what was not known, the sequence of events that will lead up to the second coming of Jesus Christ back to the earth and the subsequent creation of a whole new earth. That's what the book of Revelation is about. And the thing that makes it easier to understand is that it's written in chronological order. In other words, it's the chronological, beginning in chapter 1, the chronological sequence of events that lead up to the second coming of Christ to the earth. Here's the sequence. Here's a visual of it. Chapter 1 takes us back in time, we studied all this, to the death and resurrection of Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 bring us into the present to the church age. We live right now in the church age. Chapters 4 and 5, remember this, gives us a glimpse of heaven. Sort of opens the door to heaven and lets us look in. And we looked in. Then chapter 6 brings us back down to the earth. And from chapter 6 through 18, the Bible unpacks what is called the, the future great tribulation. It's only seven years long, but it gets a lot of ink, chapter 6 through 18. This time known as the Great Tribulation, this future period, will be followed by the second coming of Christ. But here's what I want you to, to understand. In this future Great Tribulation, Christians are going to be persecuted. And the goal during the, the, the Great Tribulation will be literally the extermination of Christians and Christianity. The genocide of Christians and the extermination of the Christian testimony. And it will be for Christians what is tantamount to a Christian holocaust. But here's what happens. As these Christians begin dying in mass on the earth, check this out, their souls begin to arrive where? Where? In heaven. And let me say it again. As their, as their bodies die on the earth from execution in mass, their souls begin showing up in heaven. You get the idea in verse 9. Listen to it. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, here's the key word, the, yeah, the souls of those who had been what? Slain. 
who had been slain. Now, folks, this affirms what we've been saying. And that is when a child of God dies, if you're a Christian, here's what happens. Your soul comes out of your body. That's what death is. In other words, your body dies, whether like these people who are executed or what. Your body dies, but at that instant of death, God grabs your soul, as it were, and brings it to heaven to be with him. And mind you, we've, been, we've said before, there's no weird stuff in it. No floating, no tunnels, no freaky lights, just instant heaven. Your soul will be taken to heaven. By the way, your soul is that immaterial, intangible part of you that can think, that can dream, that can hope, that can love. That's your soul. That's, that's you at the core. And again, when you die, God grabs that soul, because your body's dead, your soul's out of it, and brings that soul to be with him in heaven. Now, by the way, Heaven's not the final resting place. You'll come back to the earth if you're a believer with a body and all of that. We've talked about that. But here's the point. These believers die and their soul arrives in heaven. When you and I die, same thing. Body dies, our souls arrive in heaven. And folks, here's what I love about heaven. Write this down as A, B, and C. Heaven is close proximity to God. Simply put, heaven is close proximity to God. Back up to chapter 4, verse 1. You'll get the idea. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door. Here's a key phrase, standing open in heaven. In other words, when you die, the first thing you will see is a door. (laughs) It will not be shut. As a child of God, that door will be open. And you will enter into heaven. And here's the first thing you'll notice, verse 2. At once I was in the spirit, in the soul. And there before me was a a throne in heaven. Watch this. And someone was seated on it. You say, who's that? You got it. (laughs) You got it. Who is it? It's God. Seated in the chair from which the universe is being run. And the point is, as Christians die on the earth, they arrive in heaven. And what is heaven? Simply put, heaven is close proximity to God as he is seated on the throne of the universe. But here's what you need to know about that. Write this down as B and C. So important. Proximity to God in heaven does not deaden awareness. Close proximity to God does not deaden awareness to all of the pain and suffering and injustice that will be still going on down in the earth. To the contrary, write this down as B. Proximity to God in heaven actually heightens awareness. Listen to verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Verse 10, they called out, Lord, we're so tranquilized up here. Lord, nothing bothers us. We don't care about what's happening on the earth. Is that what they say? 
No, they called out in a loud voice, how long? How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now stop right there. Because it is clear that people in heaven will be aware of what's going on down on the earth. We will not be anesthetized and out of it and unaware of what's, what's going on to, on the earth. To the contrary, we'll know exactly what's going on. We will know what is transpiring down there. These people who arrive in heaven, they know we were just mistreated. We were just persecuted and put to death. And people are still down there being put to death, God. And they start crying out to God. They are not anesthetized. They're fully alert and fully aware that bad stuff's going on down there. And they cry out to God, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Translation, God, you are sovereign. That means you're in charge. That means you're in control. And so, God, how long are you going to let that go on? God, how long before you stop the death, before you stop the tears, before you stop the suffering, before you stop the pain, before you stop the injustice? How long, God? And they get the answer in verse 11. Then each of, each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. Watch this. Until the full number of their fellow servants... Their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. You say, meaning what? Meaning pain and suffering and death and sorrow and tears and mistreatment and injustice will continue. It will run the gamut from Genesis to Revelation, from Adam to Armageddon, from the beginning till all the way till the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth. And when Christ gets back to the earth, he will fix this earth. They're saying, how long till you fix it? And he is basically saying it's going to run a course until Christ comes back and fixes this earth. He sets up a kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth, like it is in heaven. It will take the return of Christ to fix this place, this earth. You know, Coldplay. How many of you know the band Coldplay? Yeah, they have a, they have a song called, I Will Fix You. That's exactly what Christ is saying. I will fix this when I come back and when I will return, there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning for all of the injustice and mistreatment that has gone on on this planet. But folks, here's what you need to know for now. Jesus is saying, God is saying, I'm going to let it run the spectrum from the beginning to the end till Christ returns. And there will be pain and suffering and death and sorrow. But here's what you need to know. All of the pain and suffering and sorrow and misjustice that happens on this planet, listen to this, this is so important for you to know, bothers God. Let me say that again. 
all of the pain and suffering and tears and sorrow that happens on, in this world bothers God. In fact, when God came to the earth in the form of Jesus, when Jesus saw pain and suffering and tears, when he saw injustice, it bothered him. When he saw death and tears, the Bible says he wept himself over it. When Jesus saw the hungry and the masses, the Bible said he had compassion in his heart for them. You say, why? Because our God is a compassionate God. And because he is compassionate, the soft suffering and sorrow and injustice and mistreatment, because he's compassionate, all of that bothers God. And folks, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to get. This is where I'm going. In heaven, we will be in such close proximity to God that what bothers God will bother us. Does that make sense? In other words, we'll be so close to God in heaven that, that what bothers him will rub off on us. Put another way, we'll catch the disease because we'll be so close to God. And what is the disease that God has that we're going to catch in heaven? Here it is. Compassion. Compassion. What bothers God is going to bother us. And we'll know what's going on down on the earth. And we'll know people are still suffering. We'll know people are still dying. And we will, we will be bothered by that and we will feel compassion in heaven for people. Now, Christ Fellowship, I say all of that to say this. Here's what I love, love, love about you. Here's what makes me feel so proud to be your pastor. And that is this. Write this down as number two. I want you to write it down. Christ Fellowship, you have a passion for compassion now. In other words, you have a passion for compassion here. You have grown more and more and more conscientious of the pain and suffering that is going on around you, more and more aware of it. And let me tell you why you're so aware of it and why you're doing something about all of that. Because you need to know, why do I feel this way? Why am I bothered by injustice? Why am I bothered when I see starving people? Why am I bothering, bothered when I see persecution? Why does that bother me? Here's why. Write this down as A and B. Here's why it bothers you. Christians are in close proximity to God now. In other words, everybody heads up. You don't have to wait to go to, go to heaven to get in close proximity to God. If you're a believer, you're already closer than you can really appreciate. Yeah. Because here's what Jesus said. Listen to this. Jesus said, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, he lives with you. And we'll be where? Yeah, in you. In you. You say, meaning what? Meaning every Christian in here is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That means the moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took up his residence inside of you. The Holy Spirit took up his abode within you. By the way, you want to know what the Holy Spirit is? There's a lot of talk about it. 
Here it is, basically. It's God's presence. It's the presence of God. And what God is saying is his presence lives inside of you. You are now like the holy of holies. Even more clear, you're like the ark of the covenant. You hold inside of you the presence and the spirit of the almighty God. Listen, what more could God do to be close to you? Than to say, I'm not just going to be with you. I'm coming within you. And here's my point. Just like close proximity to God in heaven does not, will not anesthetize us to the pain and suffering going on in the earth then, just like that, closeness to God now does not anesthetize us to the pain and suffering and injustice that goes on around us. To the contrary, write this down as B, Close proximity to God heightens awareness now. In other words, close proximity to God is less like being anesthetized and more like having smelling salts run up your nose. Because get this, the closer you get to God, God inhabits you. But the closer you go to grow to him relationally, the more you fall in love with him, through his word, through prayer, through worship, the closer you get to God, listen to this, the more what bothers God starts to bother you. In other words, it starts to rub off on you. You start to, you start to get the disease. And when that happens, you then become compassionate. In other words, the more conscious you are of God's closeness to you, the more conscientious you become of pain and suffering and sorrow and hurting and injustice in this world. And Christ Fellowship, that's what, as your pastor, that's sort of what I've watched happen here. What I have seen happen in your lives is that as you've gotten closer and closer to God relationally, as you've fallen more and more in love with him, you've just become more and more compassionate. In fact, you as a church have made, at all of our campuses, you have made a formal commitment to show compassion to the under-resourced, to the hurting, to the abused, to the helpless, to the hopeless, to those who suffer injustice. You have made a formal commitment to do something about that. In other words, you're not just conscientious of it. You are, you are acting on that that conscientiousness. See, it's one thing to say, I feel compassion. It's another thing to say, I feel compassion and I'm doing something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be used of God to do something about that. In Christ Fellowship, that is what you've been doing. And that's what I wanted to brag on you about. This is, by the way, this is the things that we're doing to, to mirror our God are the things that God is going to look at you one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave, you served, you volunteered. Well done. Good and faithful servant. So I want to I run over just a few things that you are doing to show compassion. And I could go on, but I, I'm looking at the clock. I got 13 minutes and 47 seconds. So I'm going to hit them as many as I can, as fast as I can. So here we go. One, two, three, four. We'll see how far we get. Number one, you show compassion to the persecuted. 
Now look back at the text. Verse 10 says, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our, what's that next word? Yeah, our blood. Now stop there because the specific injustice going on in this passage is the persecution of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I've said a few weeks back in the series we were doing in the past that more and more we live in a world that wants to get rid of God. They want God out of our schools. They want God out of the government. They want God out of our minds. They want God off the planet. They imagine the world would be better off if we could just get rid of the God stuff. But not only that, more and more, we're living in a world that not only wants to get rid of God, they want to get rid of God's people, especially those people who, who just won't shut up talking about God. And more and more, what's going to happen is, but let me just say this, we live in a world that's intolerant, becoming intolerant of Christianity. There's a lot of talk of tolerance, but there's this there's this underlying intolerance of Christianity. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse until we reach this time known as the Great Tribulation, and Christians are going to begin to perish in somewhat of a delirium. But I don't have to tell you this. We already feel the, the slight undertoes of this, don't we, of what's coming. We already see the shadow of what the world thinks and what the world believes and what they want to do with Christianity. They want it gone. And maybe you don't know it, but there are people that you give to, that you support, who right now today are at risk because they share the gospel in places that that's illegal to do. In fact, you may not be aware of this. There are people who two years ago and three years ago and five years ago who sat in these seats and sat in other seats at Christ Fellowship campuses who, who worked a job, who served here and volunteered, but they decided they were going to leave that. And these are people I cannot even name to you, but who have left us. And they have gone to regions in the world where their lives are at risk. And you are giving and supporting and helping them and praying for them. Think about this. Christ Fellowship has seven campuses locally in Dade County. But we also have multiple campuses globally. And these global campuses, you need to understand, they're just as much a part of Christ Fellowship as is West Kendall, downtown, Redland, Palmetto Bay. They're, it's not them. They're us. Those are, they are us. They're Christ Fellowship. And routinely, routinely, we get letters from them where the pastors, where the people are apprehended, they're brought in, they're questioned, they're threatened. Our, our campus pastors. But we give to them. You give to them. We support them. You know why? Because that bothers God that they're being persecuted. And what bothers God bothers us, and we've decided to do something about it. By the way, I don't know if you know, but today, of all things, I didn't plan on this. I really didn't know this till this week. Today is, is, is Persecution Sunday, per, the persecuted church, the persecuted Christian Sunday. 
And so thank God for you, Christ Fellowship, because you not only pray for them, you give to them, support them, and help them. So give yourself a hand. (laughs) Secondly, write this. You show compassion for the hungry. For the hungry. Surrounding every one of our campuses are little children who go to bed hungry at night. Now, mind you, these children are fed Monday through Friday by the government, but there's a gap between Friday and Monday where many of these children go home and there's absolutely nothing to eat because many of them live way below the poverty line. So there's this gap between uh, Friday and Monday. Now, I was thinking this week, listen to what God says in Ezekiel 22. God says, I looked for someone among them who would stand before me in the, yeah. in the gap. God says, I was looking for somebody to stand in the gap. He goes on to say, I found no one. But Christ Fellowship, here's what I love about you. You have decided we'll stand in the gap. And you started, you started our Caring for Miami ministry. This was your project. We didn't, we didn't outsource this. You started it. And through our, our Caring for Miami ministry, through Christ Fellowship, we feed 1,307 under-resourced children living below the poverty line every week. Christ Fellowship volunteers pack these bags. Christ volunteers, volunteers deliver these bags. Christ Fellowship as a whole pays for these bags. And these ch- there's food in all of these bags that's easy to prepare but very nutritious. And these children take these home and they know that somebody loves them and somebody cares for them. You know why we do this? Because that kind of poverty bothers us. And the closer we get to God, the more it bothers us and the more we say, God, we're going to stand in the gap. So, Christ Fellowship, give yourself a hand. Thank you for all you do. Thirdly, i got to hurry. You show compassion for the helpless. For the helpless. Now, I want to talk about an issue that is a theological issue, but it has been hijacked and is now a political issue. And so I, I feel like I need to qualify what I'm about to say. Because if you've been at Christ Fellowship for any amount of time, some of you have been with me for 22 years here, you know I never, we never talk politics in this church. Now, don't get me wrong. I vote, you should vote. But we don't talk politics in this church because that's not the mission that God gave us. And when we bring politics inside the church, we confuse the world about what the message is. The message is not become Republican, not become Democrat, not become whatever. The message is become a follower of Christ. That's where it all starts. And don't get me wrong, we have politicians in this church, many at extremely high levels. And you know what? They are out there in their world, and they talk about Jesus. I love it when they're out there talking about Jesus. I love it when they speak the name of Christ out there. But it's not our mission here. And folks, that's never going to change. But having said that, having said that, I can think of no more helpless person in the world than a baby in the womb of its mother. No more helpless person. That baby is solely dependent on the mother's care, 
and the mother's protection and the mother's delivery. And you know what God says about that baby in the womb? Here's what God says. God says, that's my property. That baby's not the property of the government. That baby is not the property even of the mother. Just because a life is attached to you doesn't mean you own that life. That was the thinking of slavery, by the way. I can do what I want because you're... No life belongs to anybody. God is the owner of all lives, including a baby. In fact, God says this. He says, it is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. You say, meaning what? Meaning every life that comes into this world comes into this world and is brought to life by a sovereign, divine, creative act of God Almighty. No baby is an accident. It's all predecided by God. In fact, the Bible says, you knit me together, O God, in my mother's, what? Womb. That means God not only brings that life into existence, but while that baby is in the womb, God is superintending the growth and the product of that child like a person knitting together something like a garment. But folks, I don't have to tell you, listen, that being said, I don't have to tell you that you take a helpless baby and connect it to a hopeless mother and babies will die before they're born. You take a helpless baby and connect it to a mother who feels like, I don't have any hope. I don't think I can raise this baby. And babies can die. And let me say this, there's some, there's some people in here right now, there's some ladies in here right now, and when I say all of this, you, you gasp, because you look back in your past and you say, I, I, I did that, I did that. Here's what you need to know, ladies, if you've done that, if you've aborted, God loves you, and God totally forgives you, totally forgives you, and, and is willing to redeem your life, and one day you'll see that baby in heaven, it's instant heaven for that baby too, and that baby will love you, and that baby will know exactly, because he'll know all things, she'll know all things, what you were going through. But we grieve not only for the baby, we grieve for the mothers who are going through all of that. So, Christ Fellowship, here's what you've done. I've got to hustle. Here's three ministries that you have started. Number one, we have Eve's Hope. Here's what Eve's Hope does. Eve's Hope, right here in Day County, that you started, that you helped launch, teaches mothers who are pregnant that that baby in them is a baby, is alive. And it is a gift to the mother from God. And there is no higher calling in life than to give life. Ladies, this is what makes you so much better than us guys. (laughs) I'm telling you, you get the privilege of creating a life of delivering life. We will never know as men what that is like, but God gives you that privilege of bringing a life into the world. And we help mothers realize that. And those mothers are not only only helped to understand that, but they're helped. They're hopeless. We help them financially. Other ways, help them get started. Secondly, here's another ministry that we have, our foster and adoption. What better way to save a life than to say, you, you're not able to handle that baby. You're hopeless. Well, we've got some parents who want one. And already we've had, in, in this program, we've had 66 families at Christ Fellowship who have adopted babies that may have otherwise been aborted. 
How about this one? Our, our um, Agape Women's Center. This is a center that one of our members at Christ Fellowship is the lead over. And what we do with this, at this center is women who are pregnant but who are at risk, who are below the poverty line, they come here and there's a place for them to stay. They have a bed, they have a room, and they are taught the things of God and taught how to love that baby and how to care for that baby. It is amazing. You need to go visit Agape. It's not far from our, our West Kendall camp, I mean our uh, Palmetto Bay campus. And you walk out there in this big piece of property and you'll see these mothers seated around ch- trees and somebody leading them in a Bible study and equipping them. So anyway, give yourself a hand, Christ Fellowship. I'm so proud of what you do. I gotta help you, I gotta hurry. Uh, Number four, you show compassion for the under-resourced. All around our Christ Fellowship campuses, there are people who live below the poverty line. And Christ Fellowship, they do not have health care and they do not have dental care. But you, Christ Fellowship, this is your truck. This is your bus. Caring for Miami, you launch this. And this bus goes out almost weekly and provides health care from our physicians, dental care from our dentists, free of charge to people. Listen, we helped 1,800 people, 1,800 people who live 200% below the poverty line. I had to find out what 200% below the poverty line, what does that mean? I had to have somebody explain that to me. But these people are so far below, and they suffer. They have no care. But you have said that bothers us. We're going to do something about it. There's our bus, Caring for Miami. Not only that, we also have our Caring for Miami, Christ Fellowship, our care closet, which provides food and clothing for people who are under-resourced. Why? The closer you get to God, the more what bothers God bothers you. So give yourself a hand. Compassion. One more. One more. I'm way over time. One more. I can think you, you show compassion if you're filling in the blanks to, to the, those who are um, forgotten. And I can think of nobody who's more forgotten than people who live their life behind bars. Many of these people, we serve six correctional institutions in Dade County. Many of these people, some of these are women facilities, are in there for life. And many of these people feel hopeless. But God loves them. And God cares for them. And Christ Fellowship, through you, through our volunteers, through your giving, we have church services for these people on the weekends. They will hear the message that you're hearing now. They will see the screen. They will see the preaching. They have their worship bands. They have pastors that lead them. And that's because you care so much. Well, Christ Fellowship, I hope I accomplished my agenda, which was to brag on you because you surely deserve it. At all of our campuses, give yourself a hand. By the way, by the way, maybe you're here today and you're saying, I would love to sign up for that. I would love to volunteer for that. Well, if you look inside of your worship folder, there's a volunteer card and you can fill that out. There's places, some of these ministries that I just talked about are on that card. You may say, that's not really the one I want to volunteer for. Then just write in what you would love to volunteer. Because these are the things that God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You caught my disease, he will say. Compassion. Compassion. By the way, you know, one of the other ministries that we have here is we care for those who have an empty soul. 
You see, sometimes for most people, the soul is the most neglected part of their person. Your soul, like I said, is that, that intangible, immaterial part of you within that dreams, that hopes, that thinks, that imagines, that loves. It's you. It's, it's you. And so often, that place within us at the level of our soul is empty. And, and there are times when we realize it's empty. And what it's empty of is empty of God. That's a place that God created for Him to fill. Just like we talked about, when you receive Him as Savior, He fills that place with His presence. And so if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never received Him into your life, He wants to come in and fill that emptiness with His presence, with His love, with His compassion, with His joy, with His peace, and give you everlasting life. All free for the asking. You say, what do I do to receive that? The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be given eternal life. What do you do to receive God's presence in your life? What do you do to receive eternal life? You don't have to join a church. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to become a member of anything. It's personal. It's between you and Him. He says, if you'll call on me, He said, I'll fill you with my presence and give you eternal life. So why don't you do that? If you're here today and you've never done that, never opened your life, never invited Christ in, why don't you do that right where you're seated? In fact, let's have every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our campuses. If you'd like to receive Christ today, call on him. Let me lead you in a prayer. You pray this prayer, not to me. You pray it to God because he's listening with all of his heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that my soul is empty, but I also know that you long to fill the emptiness. And so right now, Lord, I open the door to my soul, to my heart, to my life, and I invite you to come in. I ask you to forgive all of my sins, past, present, and future. Forgive all of my sins, and I ask you to give me everlasting life. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. And thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. May I from this day forward spend the rest of my life following you, obeying you, loving you, and being loved by you. In your name I pray, amen. If you'd like to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmimi.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.